Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Bloody Elbow Podcasts are proud to be sponsored by RevGear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to RevGear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up. Hey everybody, welcome back once again to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about, uh, I'm saying once again a lot, once again, once again, once again, uh, we're here talking about uh, this week's UFC event going down to Sao Paulo, Brazil at the Ibirapuera Gymnasium and uh, featuring a heavyweight top contender about Jilton Almeida versus Derek Lewis. We're talking and about that's me. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. I would just try to avoid that. What do you mean? Never mind. <laughs> I'm the other guy. That's me. Was my timing off? We're uh, talking about the prelims right now. That's where I was going to get to the point of uh, letting you actually get a word in edgewise. But mm, once again, that's him, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that's him uh hello yeah we've already uh yeah. given our sort of feelings on this card uh in the main card uh vivi that it's um it's uh, not amazing but it's fine i would actually say i like the prelims better than the main card as prelims in comparison to the main card as a main card mm, i totally understand what you mean like the main card <laughs> It lacks a co-main event, you know? Yeah. It's basically just prelims from the main there's, event and then prelims all the way down. There's not a huge distinction, whereas when you're, when you're looking at these matchups in the context of I'm expecting to be looking at prelims. Yeah, I actually like, like yeah, these are fine. most of these fights. These are, yeah. you know, interesting bouts with fighters I want to see. They're well-booked. Uh, you know, and there's only like one, one or two fights on here. I'm like, eh, I just don't care at all. Which is also the case about like most of the main card that if any of those was thrown into this prelim mix, you'd be like, here's another one. This looks Ex- good. Exactly. Which is why I say <laughs> that I like the prelims as prelims more than the main card as a main card. Yeah. Got it. Anyway. C- clear and concise. Yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. Uh, <laughs> so we have wild, uh, but <laughs> that's that's me. Uh, we had a couple short notice changes. Yeah. Uh, on these prelims in particular, uh, until yesterday, I believe. 
and I'm saying this on uh, Wednesday the 1st, there was a uh, featherweight fight between uh, Lucas Alexander and David Onama on the prelims. Yep. That's gone. Uh, no replacement as far as we know yet. And then just today, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first fight that we're going to be discussing here was Alter, who was originally slated to fight Elves Brenner. Elves Brenner was supposed to be taking on Esteban Rybovich. Oh, not Dwarves Rodriguez. <laughs> That's a shame. That is a oh. shame. Or, or Orc Alexander. Orcs. It has Orcs to be weirdly Alexander. plural. Right. It has to be plural. Orcs <laughs> Alexander. Orcs Alexandre. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. Gnome Silva. I was really looking forward to his fight with uh, with uh, Ants da Silva. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, too bad. There probably is a Brazilian named Gnomes Alexander. Gnome oh, Silva, sure. rather. Sure. Gnome, Gnome Silva. There's probably a Brazilian with every single one of these names. Basically, if you can say there's probably an American with that name, you can say the same thing about Brazil. Yeah, it's true. It is an equally weird uh, melting pot kind of country with like a bunch of different cultures and therefore has spawned its own like um, naming identity, you know. In America, you're going to find names you don't find anywhere else. Like Europe, other places in the world, they have rules about what you can name your kids. Yeah. <laughs> they literally do. Like, yeah. like in like Germany or France, like you can't name your kid like, you know, Mangotron. Like it's not allowed. You have to give them like they have to be named Christian or Hans uh, or Hans <laughs> or something. They have to be named something normal. Dieter, Dieter, Helmut, Gunther. <laughs> And uh, and uh, Matthias, those are the only acceptable names for a German man. <laughs> Whereas in, in Brazil, as in the U.S., people name their kids absolutely whatever they want. Yeah. But there's definitely an elves, a dwarves, an orcs, and an ents <laughs> somewhere out there in Brazil. But uh, I did just double check, and Lucas Alexandre, or Alexander is set to fight uh, Jekka Saragi on november 18th oh okay they rebooked him okay so they they bumped him out and onama is just injured and not fighting i mean not cool that onama is injured but i I understand what's happening now yeah so yeah our featured prelim here is elves brenner canyon it's canaan but i'm just gonna call him canyon (laughs) It could also be could be Kainan. Kainan. Kainan Krzyzewski with one of those names where you just look at it and you go, okay, when exactly did your family make it to South America? Was it... 19- it's not as suspicious as being named like Kainan Hitler. No, no, it's but, true. <laughs> there's a particular type of South American last name that you really do squint when you yeah. see it. Like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, your name is uh, Alessandra Steinmann. Yeah. I'm suspicious. Uh, Noted Brazilian light heavyweight for a a long time, Durley Broenstrup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Suspicious. Krzyzewski could be any, uh, you know. Yeah, just just a Slavic name. Don't even know through Brazilian the Brazilian lens whether he's Polish or. Yeah. 
Serbian or Russian or anything. Who knows? Indeed. But, uh, I, and you know, the, the topology photo, I will say of Krzyzewski, he should get that changed Mm. because it does not do him any favors. You look at that guy Mm. on, on his topology photo, you're like, okay, this is a goofy dude who, who, who doesn't really like, he got called up on a moment's notice and mm-hmm. looks like the kind of dude you see fighting on Alaska FC or something, you know? Yeah. The reality is that he's basically elves Brenner. Yeah. He's elves. He's elves too. Yeah. A classic film <laughs> starring, I believe Grizzly Adams. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Never seen that I, one. Zane? I am no longer at all sure what you're talking about or if you're serious. You should you should go watch Elves too. Elves too with Grizzly yeah. Adams. Yeah, it involves uh well, you know, the actor who played Grizzly Adams. Okay. I think he plays a mall Santa and there's like a Nazi satanic cult and they're trying to bring back the master race, which turns out to be these fucked up little elves. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Okay. Anyway, he's very similar to elves. He um, is really similar. These are both fighters. Like, I think this might be a bloodbath. Yeah. Because these are both fighters who just want to come forward and just relentlessly pressure and attack. And I think it will be a serious sort of opening battle to decide who's going to take the first step backwards. Yeah. Neither dude is really all that concerned about defense. Yeah, both of them. I mean, in in the in the Brenner case, the shooter, bo- there are all these guys that are coming out of the shooter box. Diego Lima, you see, has been raiding that gym lately, which not a bad idea. No, not they're awesome. all awesome to watch. Yeah. All the guys coming out of there, they all clearly idolize Charles Oliveira and are trying to fight like him. I'm sure it's also mm-hmm. just part of the training they're getting. But yeah, not like shooter box is not forever had a philosophy of relentless aggression and violence. Yeah. But it, it's, it's more pronounced. I mean, they're all dying yeah. their hair blonde. They're all, you know, <laughs> like, okay, we see you. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of sweet, you know, it is, I like it. it it's great. <laughs> yeah. They're all, all Charles Oliveira deserves that kind of idolization, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very sincere form of flattery that everyone's like, yep. I want to fight like, like do Bronx fights. Yep. And what that means is very head on line, very forward facing, and uh, very much trying to be there to see punches coming and get hit by them (laughs) so that you can answer back and answer back with some power and with variety. Yeah. A style of counterpunching called I dare you. Yeah. Yeah. And if I don't hit you back. And so, yeah, with with Brenner, it's easy to see that as a product of his camp with Krzyzewski. I I don't know, you know, Rivera black team is what he's credited with on topology, although they're not that good about keeping up with teams. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a product of his gym or just who he is or what, but it's pretty similar. He's very head on line. Likes to throw extended combinations, a decent counter puncher when his feet are planted. And when you actually have to push him back, his game is a lot more raw, just mm-hmm. like Brenner's is. When 
when uh, who did he fight last? The uh, Georgian uh, when Kutataladze. Yeah, Guron Kutataladze. Brenner on the back foot early in their fight absolutely lit him up. Yeah, I mean his his dyed platinum blonde hair was half red within the first several couple minutes of that fight. Yep. Yeah, it it this is very much two dudes who are really only effective when their feet are either planted or moving them forward. Mm-hmm. And both who, also, yeah, go sorry, on. go ahead. You say, well, just both also in a sort of Oliveira esque style. Yeah, uh, perfectly happy to walk themselves right into the clinch. Yep, where they will also continue doing big damage. Both these guys like to grab a collar tie and smash with elbows. Or step off to the side and yank somebody into a vicious knee. And um, both will shoot whenever mm-hmm. they feel like they want to change things up and mm-hmm. are opportunistic grapplers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably even say Krzyzewski might be a little bit cleaner a grappler than Brenner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For my money. Um, if this weren't short notice, I would basically just say flip a coin. Pretty much. Yeah, that's the, it's like the only X factor that uh, is like an easy out to just be like, well, I guess I'll pick this guy. Yeah. Is the, is the fact that Krzyzewski took this fight on like. What will it be when the fight rolls around three days notice, I guess? Yeah, it's not much. No. So and, and for all we know, I mean, it doesn't look like a guy whose style changes much from opponent to opponent anyway. Mm-mm. Um. So for all we know, if he is just in shape and is a guy who is who stays in the gym and stays training, it might not even look like a short notice replacement. He might just show yeah. up and do the the Kane and Krzyzewski thing. In which yep. case, like I said, I I think we're looking at a, a a knockdown drag out brawl at least until somebody is forced to give ground because both of these guys really 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 want to keep the front foot and to keep pressure on their opponent. Yeah, and have to. Not even just want to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If they can't, their game suffers massively for it. Yeah. And we have seen an instance of Brenner getting punished in that way and just refusing to go away. Yep. And fighting his way back in. And Krzyzewski's um, one loss on his record is a knockout. In yeah. The first round. So, you know, we maybe have more evidence that. Brenner is more durable. Not a lot. Yeah. Brenner's never been knocked out. Yeah. Brenner's never been knocked out, but he's also been beaten a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and although he also, he also did, uh, Krzyzewski did lose at Aries FC four to Damian Lapalus in a decision that was later overturned. Hmm. La- Lapalus failed a drug test. Okay, so you can kind of picture how that fight went. Somebody who's you can pressure them, but it's it's not as fun as you thought it would be. Yeah, very back foot uh, dependent striker who has a clean striking game. Yeah, genuinely good at evading and keeping himself in open space and and sticking and moving. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, nope. And I and I think we're both just gonna sort of default to picking elves. Yep. Elvish Brenner, because uh, he had a full camp. <laughs> he's got the Lembus bread. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. He, yeah. 
One, it's great, great weight cutting food because, as you know, one small bite is enough to fill the stomach of a grown man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a chance to do more Lord of the Rings quotes, because <laughs> I'm I'm good at this game. Uh, <laughs> do not know. Oh, we do have one line. One book is open on Brenner Krzyzewski. Okay. Brenner is the early favorite, open at minus 250, is currently at minus 170. Krzyzewski opened at plus 210, is currently plus 145. Sure, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to lean Brenner, like I say, knee-jerk kind of thing. But it'll be fun. It's, you know, should be a fun fight. Yeah, and easily both dudes could just get caught and wiped out at any moment. It looks like that kind of matchup, so. Yeah. That takes us to a bantamweight bout, Daniel Marcos, Victor Hugo. Mm. And this is this is an interesting one. Uh, Victor Hugo is exactly the kind of dude that I really want to see on the Contender Series and want to see the Contender Series used for, mm-hmm. which is that he is a longtime veteran of the sports who came up with a, you know, a some can crushing, fighting overseas, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and has put together a pretty complete, or a, a, a not even complete, but just a, a, a game he's pretty dedicated to. Mm-hmm. And you use the Contender Series to be like, okay, well, can you do it against somebody that we think might be okay? All right, get in, get into the UFC, and we'll immediately put you in the mix. You know, yep. It's not a prospect. It's not a you know some some kid you think could be the next star because at that point, to me, you just just be signing those people and managing their careers well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a dude where you're like, eh, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't assign you just on first blush, but we should give you a chance to see you what you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hugo seems like a very, very dedicated grappler. And his striking game is really only there to serve his grappling game. And I like his grappling game pretty decently. His, Contender Series opponent absolutely knee-barred himself. So it's a little hard to know what to take away from that. Mm -hmm. But I liked what I saw out of it. It's very positionally strong. Very bold is what I really like about his grappling. Mm -hmm. Is that he's a grappler who is clearly confident enough in what he's doing on the ground to just be like, no, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be... I'm going to go for the positions where I can create submissions and I am going to assume that I can win out on the position if we get into a scramble. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I say that, that put him in some, it it put him in some positions that were less than uh, like dominant against uh, on the contender series against his opponent. But it also like, you know, Eduardo Matias Torres there 
like went for a a back a body lock on Hugo and tried to like sit into it and drag him down and left a leg be- between Hugo's own legs and Hugo just you know grabbed it and cranked on it to the point that he had uh Torres's own arms caught under his leg against Hugo's stomach. You know? So, it just feels like somebody who is really good at, has the confidence to just be like, oh, okay, if you're going to give me a position where I think I can grab a part of you, I'm going to make that count in a hurry. Yeah. And otherwise can't strike a lick like throws with power but in a very 2004 kind of way oh yeah and has enough defensive movement that he seems like at the very least comfortable to know he needs to be evasive and that he's not out there trying to strike so should make this for an it should make for an interesting contest against daniel marcos who has been impressing as a very solidly put together volume striker in the UFC who can stay composed and controlled and pick his targets and stick to a game plan really well. And the difficulty in calling this is that I just kind of feel a little bit like Marcos is another dude who he really did build his, his record on very subpar competition coming up through the Peruvian regional scene. And so it's more a testament to, you know, solid coaching and solid reps in the gym that he looks as composed as he does at this level. Because I think that Davy Grant fight kind of exposed that, like when Grant came at him with heavier stuff, this is a fight I thought Grant won, to be honest. Mm-hmm. When Grant came after Marcos with the heavier shots, Marcos didn't really have anything to go to other than just sticking with his strikes. And they they were, you know, it, it was enough to get him the, the win from the judges. It was uh, this this one I was actually fine with Marcos. It was a super, super close fight. It was a super close fight. I think I actually scored it for Marcus live because he was doing cleaner work with the jab. I just thought he was getting in more, but he didn't really do himself any favors. Yeah. Like it was a fight where, um, I really thought he could have just been more consistent with the things that were working. I recall being super frustrated. Yeah. He went away from the low kicks, didn't he? Especially. Yeah. His low kicks and his jab were both super effective and he kept just like wanting to do something more. Each time he would jab, he'd be like, great. That's a little wedge. Now I can kind of build off that with some other idea. What he should have done is just um, kept landing the jab. Yeah. Because every single time he went back to it, it worked great. It, it looked like a, I, I would hope, a learning experience. It, it really looked like yeah. somebody with, with a lot of experience in, like, yeah, one-way traffic. Um, who had the capacity to make good decisions, but just hadn't really been under that kind of sustained duress before. Yeah. And so was kind of figuring out as he went along. I, I thought it a, basically a, a, a good look, but also a revealing. Yeah, I, I felt it uh, showed 
maybe your your read on it is a little better. My memory of it was that it just showed Marcos as kind of like a guy so used to fighters not being able, not still being there to compete with him. Yeah. That he, you know, as Grant started to come up with ideas to try to fight around Marcos, yeah. Marcos just seemed kind of stuck on the same thing or not. Yeah, really but if, you know, it, it could easily be if you're a guy with Marcos's experience and background, David yeah. Grant could very well be the guy who just completely breaks you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I we may have both picked that, in fact. Yeah. And he just didn't. He, no. you know, he, he hung around. He kept finding ways back into the fight. He, um, I thought, showed resilience and was surprisingly calm under this. Uh, against the sort of wild pressuring striking of Grant. He just kept doing like s- stupid, tricky stuff that he probably could have gotten away with and maybe suddenly won the fight with against somebody worse. Uh, but he also showed he had the fundamental skills to win a fight like that a lot more convincingly with the right like preparation. And, and, and if he took the right lesson away from it, I have no idea if he did or not, but yeah. The question then becomes, have any of the guys that Marcos has faced so far in his career been functional wrestlers? And is Hugo a functional enough wrestler to make the difference? Yeah. Because Marcos has, he's faced a few take, you know, contender series dude shot in on him like 14 times apparently and got mm-hmm. two takedowns to uh, rack up two minutes and 40 seconds of control. Mm-hmm. Over three rounds, so not a lot. Uh, and then otherwise, he's faced all of, you know, he, he faced five takedowns from Simon Oliveira and stuffed them all. Mm-hmm. And then only one takedown from da- Davy Grant. But Hugo, uh, he, Victor Hugo is not going to, he's probably going to do nothing but try and tie Marcos up in scrambles. And it's all, it's all he does. Yeah. He doesn't really have a lot else to bank on. He doesn't. And he seems like he's pretty good at it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He's got a, um, he's got a bit of, uh, of a Grant Dawson ness. Yeah. Scrappling too, where he will, he can find a sort of hold to work around from a lot of different positions. Like one, one other thing in his contender series fight was that he went for a leg lock and I was like, that's not going to work. He went for like a, a heel hook or a knee bar. And I can't recall specifically. I was like, that's not going to work. And then he was like, Oh, maybe there's a calf slicer here. He tried to do like that. The one that Charles Oliveira hit that one time, like the back take calf slicer. And I was like, well, that's not going to work either. But then he did sort of cling to it and keep trying to advance to the point that he just ended up popping back into top position and then banking the round. Yeah. He has a sort of, he gets one little point of control and will just grind his way into a superior position by continuing to attack it. Yeah. Um, And I'm just not sure how much of that Marcos has faced before. Sure. But also like Marcos is not easy to take down or control. Yeah, he moves pretty well and he has he has a lot of room to improve. I think he's a good athlete. He has a lot of good fundamentals that just he doesn't really uh, lean on them as much as he should. And I do wonder if Hugo 
just can't get him down consistently. What does Hugo do? Yeah, if he, if he can't get him down, then he's he's sunk. He, he's just gonna lose, like for sure, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm gonna take Daniel Marcos. I from for me, Hugo is a is a guy that I need to see. Yeah, I think you're right, Marcos. If I if I really have to be, you know, I both guys have games that I'm not entirely sure I trust yet, mostly because of their lack of competition. Marcos has been facing better competition yeah. lately, obviously. Uh, and the other thing I just have to otherwise bank on is that Marcos fights in the meta. Yes. You know, he fights the way a modern MMA fighter needs to fight to win at a high level. Yeah, and, Hugo doesn't exactly have the grappling game that because there is a high level grappling style. There's the Khabib yeah. legacy, which many, yeah. many fighters are using with success. It's not really what Hugo's game looks like. He's not super yeah. aggressive. He is not um, doing lots of damage or like breaking people's wills in these like transitional positions. No. Very frustrating to fight. Yeah. He's, he's more can. like Hani Yaya. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll side with you. I'll take Marcos as well. Yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> yeah. One thing I really like about Victor Hugo's game is uh, his grappling game is how he grapples with the uh, slow decay of Paris's architectural institutions. <laughs> Oh, it's really a theme that recurs in a lot of his uh, work. I mean, fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was waiting on that one. You were about to move on. I had to make the Victor Hugo joke. You had to make the Victor Hugo joke. You did. <laughs> Before you moved on. All right. Odds on the fight. Marcos is the favorite. Opened at minus 218. Currently out at minus 237. Hugo opened at plus 192. Currently plus 206. I'm interested to see what happens with Hugo in the UFC. I would love mm-hmm. to see him use all of his experience that he's gathered over the time to be a real fun specialist in the in in the promotion in a way mm-hmm. that, you know, there's always room for somebody to to just have a counter a counter meta. Sure. Um and I I do I like like I say, I like with his grappling how confident he is that he can turn an aggressive attack mm-hmm. into the right position, that he's not afraid to go after submissions because he assumes that he'll yeah. win out and scramble. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, there's like a kind of a dynamism there. Yeah. That uh, he's willing to do something that's like strategically sacrificial. And so, yeah, it, it means that he, he can offer a lot of problems to deal with on the ground. It's going to lose him some fights against people sure. who just simply can't be out grappled. They're going to crush him because he's constantly ruining his own position. But um, up to a certain point, that allows him to just continually, like, find paths to attack along. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a bit like um, oh, Claudio Puelles, hmm. you know, and his, like, brutal... Uh, submission of like Clay Guida and he, you know, had a, a couple of amazing highlight submissions and eventually he fought Dan Hooker and right. Hooker was just like, I'm not doing this. And he like humiliated himself. Yeah. He looked absolutely miserable. Oh my God. Okay. We need to move on. 
that brings us to a welterweight bout. Eliza Zaleski, Renat Fakratinov, and uh, didn't we just see this fight? Uh, Zaleski's last one, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think right, I... Zaleski versus Abubakar and Nurmagomedov. Um, wait, wait, are you actually confused? I thought you were just making... No, no. I'm just saying we just didn't... Like, what? why is... I, I, I'm not sure. You know, I get that he's old and he's never going to be a contender. So they're just letting him tread water against random wrestlers until he gets crushed. Yeah. But I really kind of hate that for Zaleski. Yeah, man. I thought this dude was done. I think I picked against him in his last fight. You did. I was like, yeah, he just like he gets taken down. You know, yep. like that's just not a thing you can afford to do against a guy like Nurmagomedov. Um, and then he just like couldn't actually be controlled and like no. getting taken down is not never ever the end of the battle for Zaleski. The man does not accept an inferior position and he does not stop attacking. Yep. And it turns out that he could just deal with the, the possibility of being taken down easily. Almost like mm-hmm. fight keeps going. Uh, very difficult to control. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that makes me very tempted to pick him here. Yeah. I mean, Fakratinov, I haven't seen the, so the big problem with Nurmagomedov, the the reason I picked Zaleski in that fight was that Nurmagomedov's own grappling game burns out his gas tank Mm -hmm. because he's just not a very good athlete. Right. And I don't think that that's nearly as true for Renat Fakratinov, who I also don't think is a great athlete, but I've yet, I don't think I've ever seen him get really tired from no. his own wrestling. No, he's got a, a pat healiness to him. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily need to be a good athlete. He's strong enough and efficient enough, really. Yeah. And just seems to have the right, you know, whatever the, energy systems are associated with grappling he seems to have incredible grappling fitness yep the pause in there though is just that like man it's not he's not a dynamic wrestler no at all it is not the kind of wrestling and grappling where you're like oh my god look at that shot Mm mm-hmm you know, yeah, sure. He picked Brian Battle up and hossed him around because Battle stands so tall and lets anybody come into his hips and yep, just do what they want. It's always been the battle thing of like, oh, I'll be able to just fight back out of this. But Zaleski is not that guy. Not as I much. mean, he did. The thing is, Zaleski yeah. did spend most of his first round against Abubakar just getting pressed up against the fence. It's true. It's true. So also not a super dynamic wrestler and Nurmagomedov paid for that, that takedown battle. But Zaleski did was just sort of forced into defensive wrestling mode for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, given how he came back from that, like, again, I'm tempted to pick him. Like I've just counted Zaleski out too many times. Yeah, it is never wrestling alone is never the thing that beats no. Eliza Zaleski. It isn't. No. 
you go back over his record and, you know, his recent losses, Salikov, Li Jingliang, they're both fighters who could outstrike him mm-hmm. as well, you know. And, and and Nicholas Dalby, which was the loss I was really looking at where he got taken down a bunch. It was just an aspect of that fight. Like Dalby yeah. was also super high output with the strikes and really active with his kicking game. And the takedowns yep. were just like a switch up he could throw in now and then. Yeah. And then beyond that, you're going back a decade into Zaleski's career. You know? Yeah. We fought a guy named Guillerme Bomba. Yeah. He was in the UFC. I think his nickname was Playboy. I'm pretty sure Bomba is like Brazilian Portuguese for booty. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the slang for a butt. Yeah. Good name. Um, um. <laughs> but yeah. So that makes this that does make this tough to call. It really does. Because you can see Fakhradinov getting the fight he needs to win. Um, but, but you can also look at that like that Benoit Saint Denis fight and think of just how indefatigable yeah. and unbreakable Benoit Saint Denis was, mm-hmm. while still getting shit kicked the whole time by Elizu Zaleski. Yeah. Because Zaleski hits hard and he's in shape. And even when he gets tired, he doesn't get easier to control and he doesn't get less powerful. Nope. He's one of those dudes. And Fakratinov cannot strike at all. Unless you're Kevin Lee. Unless you're Kevin Lee, who was shot. I mean, we, we, we should have known Kevin Lee was that shot. Because he went to a unanimous decision with Diego Sanchez in 2022. Yeah. But it was eye-opening nonetheless that there was no tread whatsoever left on the tires. And just, and you know, just weird stuff happens. It's not even a fight where, like, it's not like he wasn't landing clean shots on Fakhradinov and, like, he just got chinned. Yep. You know, not a huge testament necessarily to Fakhradinov's. I mean, I will say this. Fakhradinov um, looked determined to keep getting his strikes in there. You know, he, he was he was leading with his jab. He has pretty good pressuring footwork. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't know that I, I don't want to overrate his potential as a striker based on the fact that he happened to clip Kevin Lee. Yeah. Would be a mistake. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I I don't know. I'm not too yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough one. Like what? What does? What do you? I, I guess I'll double down and take Fakhradinov because I there is still the you know I, the element of why I picked against Zaleski last time. Yeah. And as I said, it's not like it wasn't a factor in the fight. No, it was. It's just it it was also knowing that. Nurmagomedov is going to get tired from his own success. Yeah, he could not sustain a fight that he was not like impressively, but was winning just by being the only guy who was doing something. Yeah. And if you can either take Zaleski down cleanly, which would be better, or just force him into defensive mode consistently, and you're confident and willing to step into him and lead with your own strikes and pretty good at pressuring and keeping him on the back foot, then... Uh, I guess I'll take Fakhradinov, but if at any point he does slow down, 
Orov Seleski can just like counter one of these takedowns hard and get himself yeah. on the front foot a bit. Who's to say that he can't just uh, put 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 a whirlwind of strikes on Fakhradinov? Yep. But so far, Fakhradinov has looked really, really consistent. And yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna take him. Yeah, I think I have to agree. I don't want to. I want to pick Seleski again because I was I'm hyped off of picking him right picking that last fight right. Yeah. Yeah. And but it was also that it was very much a read of yes and yes Zaleski will get taken down. Yeah. But he's hard to control and Nurmagomedov tires. Nurmagomedov wears himself out. And it doesn't even matter if Zaleski is having success Nurmagomedov is going to get tired. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that of Fakhratinov. So, Zaleski is a heavy underdog here. Opened at plus 213. is currently at plus 289. Fakhratinov opened at minus 245. is currently at minus 346. Still, Fakhratinov, not a great athlete. Yep. So... You know, I still have reservations about his ability to just wrestle his way up the division against sure. increasingly powerful and dynamic opponents. Sure. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Vitor Petrino, Modestus Bukowskis. Now we're talking. And, uh, yeah, man. Kowskis just is so he's so one of those fighters that this is such a guy that looks like he absolutely should be better than he is mm-hmm. against guy who absolutely looks like he should be worse than he is. Mm-hmm. Like, but that's just Bukowskis. He's big. He's tall. He's got some speed. He throws straight shots. Mm-hmm. When he does something with power that lands and is like lands clean and dynamically you're like wow this dude has it and then you see him all the rest of the time <laughs> and you're like what 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 are you doing he is why you... locked in a battle with himself yeah why are you spending so much time clinching why are you spending so much time at range doing nothing why are you watching this person step into the pocket and club you beyond belief? I, like, I, I think the going forward for some time, uh, Bukowskis' fight with Tyson Pedro will be the most like informative, yeah. the most predictive of what kind of struggle he is going to run up against over and over again, which is that he went in there against essentially the light heavyweight Terrence McKinney. Yep. One of the most clearly defined one-round fighters in the entire promotion. Yep. And survived that round, did a bunch of work, had Pedro, who will literally just destroy himself, like on rubber legs, exhausted, and um, almost let light heavyweight Terrence McKinney back into the fight at multiple points. Yeah. He had him in desperately losing position and could not make himself. Uh, I mean, he could, but he, he re- it really took some like self convincing 
for him to put anything like the kind of pressure he needed to put on a guy who was just ready to be finished. Yeah. Like by after four minutes, he was ready to be finished. And Bukowskis just took his foot off the gas. And even when he did pressure, could not cook up anything that was not a one, two. Yeah. <laughs> he just, his game is really very limited. And he has like, he has been trained with a really specific, a solid idea. As, as far as one idea fighters go, you know, hey, jabs and one twos. That's good. Move your feet. Uh, keep the guy in the end of your reach. I like that. He, he is the greasy spoon line cook that knows burgers and right. scrambles. Yeah. Like, I, would, I would put this man's patty melt up against any five-star Michelin chef in the world. But that doesn't make, mean he can cook a vichyssoise, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. He really just does the couple of things he does well and is perplexed and frustrated and... Um, and drunk a lot and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a reason that he's still in the diner. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like how we went from him being, like, the Dark Lord based in his creepy typology photo to being uh, Glover Teixeira's oldest employee. Yeah. It's <laughs> equally depressed kitchen mate. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, that is, I think, the book on Bukowski yeah. is that he really should be good, but he's so locked into his really limited understanding of how he's supposed to fight that, like, he, he struggles to adapt. He and he can get people into terrible positions and just fail to actually put the stamp on it because he is not a fundamentally aggressive fighter. He doesn't nope. really have a killer instinct unless his opponent is really, really badly hurt and he can just go apeshit. And on the flip side, you have v- Vitor Petrino who lives in apeshit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who has reserved a spot at 900 apeshit plaza. Right. Apeshit lane in... <laughs> Ape shit, uh, you know, the ape ship neighborhood of ape shit city. Yeah. And the, the, the famous historic ape shit district. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and you just watch it. You're like, this should not, this can't, you, you can't just keep fighting like this all the time. You well, have to get tired. You have to get tired. You have to slow down. You have. Says who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot deny v- Vitor Petrino has the light heavyweight sauce. Yep. That is, is what light heavyweights are made of. Yep. Whatever Yuri Prashazka is drinking, Vitor Petrino is drinking it too. Yeah, he, he exudes Yair Prashazka's favorite drink from his pores. Like, he yep. is what defines a light heavyweight. He's really athletic, he hits super hard. He's a maniac who never backs down from a brawl. Yep. And will make a whole host of horrible, horrible tactical decisions. But strategically, you can kind of see it as being better for his division than Bukowskis' approach because Petrino is not going to let someone off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> not not for not by failing to to try to finish them if they're hurt. I mean, uh, Nicky Thrills isn't as athletic as Vitor Petrino, and he's yeah. been the exact same thing and you know staying a perennial top five to top 10 light heavyweight yeah petrino is like a young tiago santos like 
he's got that just knockdown drag out mentality and the physicality to back it up. And he seems like exactly the kind of fighter well suited to like to, to fall prey to all the stuff Bukowskis wants to do. And then to make Bukowskis absolutely miserable and afraid by just not caring about it. Yeah. So I'm really leaning in Petrina's direction just because I don't think Bukowskis is prepared for somebody who just doesn't go away and doesn't stop throwing full power everything at him all the time. Yeah, no, I think you have to pick Petrino here. We've just, we've seen people beat Bukowskis and, you know, it, they look a lot like Petrino. Jimmy Crute, Mikhail Bajic, yep. yep. Khalil Roundtree. Mm-hmm. Like, these are guys known for big power, high output execution. Relentless aggression, yeah. Yep. And... Yeah, that just has been it's very functional at beating Modestus Bukowskis. Yeah. And I th- I think Bukowskis is coming along like he's gaining experience. He is a little quicker on the trigger. He is varying his strike, but it's it's clearly a slow process that is not going to be easy for him and Yeah, I mean it, it could be the kind of thing that maybe right at the end of his career He's yeah. actually like a top five light heavyweight. And we're sure. like, oh, man, where was this guy the whole time? He's 29. Like, he could be improving right up until he's 35, 36 years old and be like. Yeah, know, this guy's like a little Jan Blakovich clone now. Exactly. Because Jan Blakovich, very similar kind of thing where. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of stuff early in his career. Like, oh, yeah, that looks really good. And you just don't do enough of it. Yep. And or he would do it, and he was so uncomfortable and inefficient doing it, he would gas, you know. Yeah. Like, and he just kept doing it and kept building on it and kept working on it until the end of his career now. And you're like, and he's basically just been a title contender for the past four years, mm-hmm. you know, or champion. <laughs> yeah, or champion. Yeah. But as it stands now, Vitor Petrino, he's got the uh, he's got the light heavyweight sauce, and I think he is going to. Yeah simply be too insane and careless. He is is going to order that burger, and then he is just going to cover it in Mm. special sauce, much to Bukowskis' horror. (laughs) But everybody in the restaurant will agree that it is now a better burger. Well, heartbreaking for a line cook. Heartbreaking, right? (laughs) Heartbreaking for a line cook. Yeah. All right. That metaphor really got tortured. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I, I, <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. I'm hungry, though. Petrino opened at minus 239. It's currently minus 219. Bukowski's opened at plus 208. It's currently at plus 139. Yeah, honestly, I right now would favor Petrino a little more than that. Mm, yeah. That Zach, that Zach Pauga fight? Mm-hmm. Like, Pauga went out and stormed Bukowskis right away and had him in all kinds of trouble. And it was really only Pauga's own limitations that kept that fight from getting yeah. away from the, the fact that pa- Pauga had exactly the right idea, but it was a pale mimicry of what really makes a light heavyweight. Yeah. And uh, Petrino is not faking it. No. That man is uh, just a ball of explosive muscle. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Angela Hill 
Denise Gomes and uh, I, I want to feel like this is too much too soon for Gomes mm-hmm. but at the same time man there are just so many ways that Angela Hill can lose yeah man you know yeah, I go back and 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 rewatch that uh, Hills fight with Mackenzie Dern, huh. and like obviously the the grappling was a problem, but she came in prepared for that. Yeah, she did really well with it. Yeah, um, and it became only more of the problem that it could have been when paired with Mackenzie Dern's just heedlessly aggressive striking. Mm-hmm. She just didn't give a shit. She was like, every punch I'm, I throw, oh, so what if I'm in a bad position? I'm just going to keep barnstorming her and adding punches and throwing everything with full commitment. Yeah. And just had a level of dynamism and power and aggression that Angela Hill, um, I mean, a little bit like what we were just talking about with Bukowskis and Petrino, like hill as like a not outstanding athlete but a very well-trained and very experienced fighter mm-hmm. there are these matchups where it's sort of just like you see her doing all this all this um dedicated work on improving her game and coming up with good strategies and then along comes an opponent who for whatever reason just does not actually play by the rules of like how how fighting is supposed to work, like what, what her game is designed to deal with. It's just raw physicality and aggression. And it just blows the doors off Angela Hill's game. Like, um, and there is a definite feeling that that could happen here. Yeah. Cause like, if you look at it, like a comprehensive thing and if you look at like a lot of the fights that Hill has had too lately, a lot of these losses, they are close. Yeah. They are hyper competitive. It, it, it's hard not to feel like, okay, Hill just has a lot more areas she can go with this fight where she can make something happen. Yeah. But then you also just think of like, but what if she's getting hit twice as hard as she can hit in every round? Yeah. You know, how much being better in the clinch and being more likely to end up in top position in a scramble, how much does that really help her? in the long run if she is getting nailed. Yeah. I'm still kind of leaning in the Angela Hill direction. Yeah. Because I, I do think it's a lot. Gomes, Gomes is clearly like impressive. She hits hard. She's a, she's super aggressive. She believes in the fact that she's going to hit you really hard, but, um, is it even as sophisticated as Mackenzie Dern striking? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, yeah, sophisticated, maybe not the right word, but is it as consistent? That's the thing. Is yeah. Dern striking in that fight? That was like somebody who was fueled by rage. Yeah, well, she, you know, we, she was we, pissed. Yeah. Uh, what was even going on then? Why was she so mad? She, her, she was having a nasty divorce and custody battle. That's with right. Her that's right. Ex-husband. Yeah. Um, and uh, she was just like super, super relentless and just did not care as long as she kept her output up and as long as she was coming after Angela Hill. 
And Gomes, I think, is still, as far as I've seen, is a fighter who will only do that in bursts. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure if Mackenzie Dern can fight the way she fought in that night again. It was an unusually consistently aggressive performance. Yep. Um, Gomes is usually a burst fighter and will kind of sort of not hesitantly, but like aimlessly pressure just sort of like she i mean she she just kind of she waits and pressures and then will land a shot and then in the past is always just clinched up right away behind it yeah yeah we'll just smash into the clinch and um that's an area where you know unless you're somebody like uh dern or like verna john jadoba an improved version of john jadoba like Hill will actually give you a lot to deal with. I mean, shit, she gave Mackenzie Dern a lot to deal with in the clinches. Yeah, she, she, uh, you know, she beat Loma Lukbun me there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to do all MMA math, but Denise Gomes did not. Denise Gomes got beat there by Loma Lukbun me. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, uh, there's much more feeling with Gomes that it is kind of a, it's a, it's as it is for many MMA fighters, a spot to like mentally reset. Yeah. It's I've done my bet. burst. Exactly. I've done my burst and now I get to kind of cool off and like wait till I feel comfortable to let this person go so I can do another burst back into the clinch. And if it is that kind of piecemeal pressure, then you're dealing with not only running into the clinch, which is not nearly as safe or comfortable against Hill as it is against basically anyone else in the division, but you're also dealing with the fact that Hill does kind of know how to box. Like, she, yeah. she she will move around and deal with pressure and she has a jab and she will put a big uh, a steady output of strikes that you have to deal with uh, i think this is one where gomes maybe has the right ingredients of the game that can beat angela hill but not the experience and provided she doesn't just knock hill out like she did to uh jasmine haodegi then I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm inclined to pick the more experienced fighter to uh, to weather the storm and and beat her down the stretch. Yeah, it's tough because mm-hmm. Gomes is such like you know it, this this fight really feels exactly like what it is, uh, which is kind of a nice change in that like you know Hill is 38 and she fights at this point like in a seasoned veteran mm-hmm. and Haragi is. Or Gomes rather is 23, and she fights like a 23 year old on the rise. Yeah, you know. And on the one side, there is the like, you know, the the old lions get picked off by the young ones. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, there, there's a lot of room for veteran performances in there against young and inexperienced talent. Absolutely. And the big thing in Hill's favor is that she has still, still, can you believe it, never been knocked out. Mm-hmm. Ever. And I absolutely do not believe for a second that Denise Gomes is going to submit her. No. <laughs> the only submission win. It's Rose Namajunas, on- right? Oh, wait. oh, on Gomes' record, you mean? On Gomes' record is a 
in a grappling turn grappling bout where she got a cross face. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You know. She does <laughs> doing heavyweight work as a woman yeah. strong weight. Yeah. Getting getting key locks on people. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then and vice uh, on the other hand, as for Angela Hill, there was the shock armbar against Ronda Marcos. Yeah. And there was the standing rear naked choke against Rose Namajunas. Otherwise, she has not been submitted and she has faced a lot of very good grapplers. Yeah. And I mean, so, yeah, I just don't think Hill's getting finished in this fight. Right. Uh, yeah, and which it could be the one like Mackenzie yeah. Dunn was hurting her. Gomes could just crash in and nail her on yeah. the chin. She is 38. I didn't expect her to knock out Haodegi either, you know? Yeah. She just, she just clobbered her right away. She's got really good timing on her punches, and she yeah. throws them clean and with really solid power. And an know? absolute commitment. Yep. Knowing that she will just crash into the clinch. But provided that that shot does not lead to a knockout, things just get a lot more complicated the moment you're done flinging yourself bodily into Angela Hill. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to go with you and pick Hill here. It feels chancy just because I, I've seen so many ways Hill can lose. Sure. But I don't have enough trust that Denise Gomes is a three-round winning yeah. fighter against Angela Hill. And and rarely is any you've seen Angela Hill lose plenty of fights. Rarely is it particularly definitive. It is almost never definitive. She's, when it's she's lost a bunch decision. of decisions. She's lost a ton of close decisions. It seemed like maybe she should win, and she's won a few decisions. It seems like maybe she should lose. Yep. But it's pretty much always really close, and takes three rounds of super hard, consistent fighting. All right. To that note, Hill opened at plus 140, is currently at plus 115. Gomes opened at minus 156, is currently at minus 127. Odds should just—I mean, I would say Hill should be a little bit favored. I know she's lost so much though, which is—I think she should be favored. I mean, she has a big experience edge, and yeah, I just think there's a tendency to just overrate a like a uh, low data finish. Yeah, like, who knows what would have happened in Gomes' fight with Haudegui if it just wasn't a knockout? Like Haudegui's been hurt early before. What if she recovers? Who knows? Yeah, she's. It's not very predictive in my mind. No, no. All right, that brings us to a another woman's strawweight bout: Montserrat Canejo against Eduarda Mura, and this seems probably like the most predictable fighter fight on the whole card. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm trying to think is, was there another one? Well, there's, there's Nascimento maze, but even that feels more chancy. Yeah. Than this because heavyweight, because heavyweight, this is really, and Petrino versus Bukowskis, but even that light heavyweight, yeah, a little more chancy. This is just, um, I can't remember. Is it, is it you supposed to be talking about this? Or no, me? it's you. It's you. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah, this is just as predictable as it gets because Montserrat Conejo, she's a lot of fun, but 
she's a lot of fun kept away from grapplers. Yeah. Like Montserrat Conejo needs to be fighting exclusively scrappy strikers. And then it's like, oh, her one weird trick. That's what it's made to beat. Mm -hmm. It's made to beat people who don't know how to grapple. If you do know how to grapple, then it's one weird way. I'm going to give up my back to you every single time (laughs) I do this. Yeah. And Eduardo Mura is a grappler and a back take specialist. Yeah. And she's huge for women's straw weight. She's five foot six. And Montserrat Conejo is five foot even. Probably in shoes. Mm -hmm. And we just saw this fight against Jacqueline Amarine. And you put you put Conejo in there with a good grappler who is bigger than her and can just get on top of her. And there's no answer in her game for that. Mm -hmm. All of her game is built around. I am going to trick you into getting head and arm throwed from which I can chain scarf hold scarf holds and uh, arm bars. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the whole thing. So, yeah, you got to take Eduardo Mora. It's just. Yeah, I'm completely in line with that. It just has such a, I mean, uh, borderline heavyweight game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is Alexi Alinex game to a T. That's right. We have made that comparison before, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just don't. I just because think that's very... the Ezekiel choke that he would get from the bottom to stop that exact problem that Canelo right. was having, where yeah. people would would clinch up with him and he would start locking the choke in, and they're like, "Ah, I get a free trip takedown," mm-hmm. and then suddenly they're tapping. Canelo mm-hmm. is not; she has not added that wrinkle into the into the mix. No, and otherwise just prone to getting out grappled, even by going with her own, for her own grappling game. Yep. I, you know, I do think we, I, I think we may be starting to see the finally the turn away from everyone just doing head and arm throws all the time in women's, women's MMA. We're seeing it punished more and more. I feel like. Yeah. It'll get there. It'll get there. But Ruiz is a an a, an artifact of an age when that was just a really reliable way to get to get women down. She's an artesian. She she is an artesian head and arm throw specialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'll take Mora as well. Uh, odds on the fight should be very wide. They are. Mora opened at minus three ninety five. Is currently at minus five fifty six. Uh, Ruiz opened at plus three twenty four. Is currently up at plus four thirty. Yeah, it's just these kind of fights are terrible for her. You know. Mm-hmm. If I'm her if I'm her manager and I see this booking, I am saying absolutely not unless the UFC is saying to you, to her, you either take this fight or you're cut. Yeah, but if you're a manager for a UFC fighter, what you're actually saying is yes, sir, how high, sir. Yeah, that's true. All right. That brings please, us please will you sign my other fighter on the roster? Yeah, yeah. 
No, of course we'll take that pay cut. <laughs> uh, next up is a final fight on the card. Lightweight bout, Mark Diakese, Kawe Fernandez. I'm going to guess it's Kawe. Kawe? He's got that little growl oh, yeah. over the E. Kawe Fernandez, Mark Diakese, and... Uh, Rough booking for Diakese, but he has also been looking he's been looking lost for a long time. He's just got such a weird career, Mark Diakese. Yep. You know? A guy he, who was really cursed by being able to just sort of fake it. Yep. All through his like his genuine prospect phase. Because he is the real he is the real bad outcome of High athleticism mixed with bad coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's just a beast and yeah. always has been. And um, before the UFC, we're just getting into the most hideous like wrestling battles with people mm-hmm. on a circuit where nobody could wrestle. Yep. And it turns out he couldn't wrestle all that good either. But he was just horsing people off their feet and like yep. – um, and just being way, way too physical. And then he gets to the UFC and for a moment, everyone's like, Oh my God, he's an amazing striker because he's that kind of athlete. He would just leap yeah. in and crack somebody on the chin. And of course he hits like a truck. And then you just get into a very, very long phase of his career where he's fighting like good experienced opponents and it's too late already. He's yeah. spent basically this entire time like I guess probably since his first UFC loss, which was what the Drakkar close fight. Mm-hmm. He's basically spent that entire time trying to figure out what he should have spent the early days of his career developing. Yep. And has not settled on any particular path has sort of tacked on and removed skills at random. Yep. And again, because he's such a great, um, a great athlete, like sometimes he will just look really impressive. Uh-huh. And you'll be like, oh my God, he's like, he's found the one weird trick to win this fight. And wow, he's so consistent. And and then you just find out in the very next fight, like how shallow that improvement really was. Yeah, it, it really is one of those things where I think the, the more than anything else, what is shown is that, and likely I think because he was undertrained to start with, is that the reason he was wrestling so much early on is because he is not a comfortable striker. Yeah. And now that, it, and, and as his career has gone on, that is just, it's just a really hard skill to get comfortable at. Yeah. And to pick up late. Yep. And that without that skill ever actually getting added, he can tack on a technique or he can go back to his wrestling, which he's done for long stretches. But the modern meta is so targeted around like, no, you have to be able to throw strikes in volume. That is what you have to be able to do. And if he can't ever find a way to get himself able to do that, the losses are always going to be waiting around the corner. Yeah. So that that is uh, and yeah, that's 
this Cowie this Cowie Fernandez fight is weird because Fernandez is such a like front runner bully for sure. Like all electric techniques, all sniping, like oh I can crush you out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And then you go watch his one loss. Mm-hmm. And it's just Somebody that he went ape on for a round who didn't go away Mm -hmm. and was just backing him down and making him fight hard all the rest of the fight. Yep. That was in uh, LFA against Luan Sardinia. Yeah. And yeah, he he had it all his way. He was, I mean, he is a well-rounded front runner. Yeah. He's got a great grappling game, a good, you know, decent wrestling game in there. Very can, sharp with his strikes. Can do some really flashy stuff with his uh, with his kicks. Yep. In particular, his last fight against Felipe Douglas was like a uh, a um, Peter Ertz style head mm-hmm. kick out of the clinch break. Yeah. Uh, really cool. And you know, yeah, he's got a jab. He moves his feet reasonably well. And then he sort of seems to have like the Edmund Shabazian thing where. Once it turns out the opponent is still there and is coming up with answers, his like body just he just has an adrenaline dump. Yeah, he just gets exhausted, and I don't think it's because he's terribly inefficient. I think it's because he starts to freak out. Yeah, because suddenly the opponent has just hasn't melted the way he expects them to. So he could totally do some crazy shit to Mark Jacquesi early. Mark Jacquesi could totally be aimless and clueless the entire fight and end up up losing to him. But it's not all that difficult for me to see a version of this where Jacquesi just sort of stumbles on the way to win by still being there. Because one thing Mark Jacquesi has is that he is, he is very tough. Mm -hmm. He is really, really hard to get out of there. I know he got submitted in his last fight, but typically Mark Jacquesi will hang around and will get dead tired and just not stop fighting. Yeah, he's he's only been stopped in the first round once in his mm-hmm. whole career, mm-hmm. and that was against Rafael Alves, who is himself a super top shelf athlete who yeah. can pull out those kinds of you know amazing one off just I hurt club and sub moments. Um, you know, and it has to be noted that Fernandez, his only submission wins are arm bars. Mm. which that's not a great, you know, mm-hmm. I don't trust that even a little. So if, if, but if Fernandez was not the kind of guy who will self-destruct, I would probably be inclined to pick him. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is the, it is the Tyson Pedro thing. It is the tendency to inflict his own, uh, to, to self-inflict the, the deterioration over the course of the fight, whether or not Mark Jacquesi is taking the correct approach to wear yeah. him down. That has yeah, me. Sure. Uh, and, and, and we know, we don't know that that is entirely going to be true forever. It was true in yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Fight. He He's won still... a decision right before that, I, you mm-hmm. know? So it's not like he's never been able to go three rounds. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, DKSA has generally been very tough and and is still that, a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, and that that Joel Alvarez fight was such an obvious trap to yeah. me. 
Like, I would have called that loss. A th- and you could argue that Casey got a job there because I remember there being some fouls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There was something hinky. There was like a I cage that, fence grab or an eye poke yeah. or something that wasn't called. And I believe he didn't. I don't know that he did. He may not have. Was it that he like didn't tap or something, too? Yeah, there was something weird going on there. Yeah. Anyway. Call specifically. But there was some hinkiness to it, but it was still like, you know, that was the combination of the the sniper who sucks you into a submission that you're going to dive into yourself. That was just like poison for DKC. Yeah. And I thought even then DKC dealt with it really well. Mm -hmm. So. I'll pick him here. Um, He is genuinely hard to beat. He's genuinely Even hard. Even if he's to beat. a guy who makes it hard on himself to win consistently, he yeah. is always hard to beat. The the real the real fight to watch out for here is the loss to Michael Johnson. Yeah, wow. Johnson was just able to be fast and make Well, and it was just a just yet another like failed experiment from Jake. Yeah. It's not like he couldn't have won that fight. Yeah. It was he just too <laughs> He was completely ignorant of the fact that he wasn't winning it. He just thought he was winning the whole time. Well, that he, and, felt, he felt like he was being slick. That and the fact that a Johnson being fast at the edge of range, which this is what Cowie Fernandez could do. Yeah. Constantly put hesitation in D, to DKSA to press anything. Yeah. And he didn't get the memo that the way you beat Johnson is not to shoot on him. Yes. It is to wrestle him so hard that at some point he just gets sick of it and gives up. Yeah, you have to keep fighting for the takedown, which is something Jacquesi can do. Yeah, but he didn't in that fight. He didn't. He got the got sprawled on him. Was like, okay, well, whatever. I'll do it again later. Yeah, yeah. A horrible, horrible strategic performance from Mark Jacquesi. But that's what happens when you don't know how you're supposed to be fighting when you're like now at the tail end of your career. Yeah. Anyway, still a beast of an athlete, still very resilient and difficult to just beat outright and still capable of just sort of accidentally winning a fight by still being there and still only 30. So that's yeah, true. It's true. Being a great athlete, like he's still got another five years of being incredibly fast and strong. Probably. Yep. Just a question of will he actually ever be able to have any, it all, it all click into place, which mm-hmm. Probably not, because like I say, the the kind of missing core ingredient is that he just doesn't like to strike in the pocket, and he doesn't have enough nuance to be a volume range striker. So, in the modern MMA meta, he's not he's not playing the game. All right, odds on that fight. Fernandez is a slight underdog, opened at plus 163, is currently plus 151. DKSA opened at minus 182, currently minus 170. That seems just right for me, honestly. Yeah. Those I'm odds, cool like they're right in place given that DKSA is coming off of two back to back losses and Fernandez has, you know, been winning pretty consistently so far. Mm hmm. All right. On that note, we are going to jump over and do a little bonus content for those of you that are subscribing. For those of you that aren't, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Zane Simon and Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush and both of us over BloodyOva.com. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, 
go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.